0: Good morning. (laughs) Uh, Glad to have you here today. We appreciate your presence and uh, hope that today's lesson will be uh, stimulating, cause you to uh, think a little bit, maybe in areas that we don't often think about, but areas that we should think more uh, concerning. And it all has to do with the character and the nature of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19, one and also verse three, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament or the expanse. He says that shows God's handiwork. In fact, he goes further in verse three and says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. What God has done in nature speaks. It tells us that there is a creator and that we're not here by accident. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, you remember the apostle Paul was talking to people who had turned their back on God and had denied his existence and were refusing to acknowledge him as God. And he said, you know what? There's enough revealed in creation so that those who would deny God are without excuse. You cannot look at the stars or the heavens. You cannot look at the works of God's hands and be without excuse in saying, but I didn't know there was a God. There is a God. And He's worthy to be praised because of His greatness, because of His glory. If that be the case, then answer this question for me. Why is worship such a struggle. What do you mean worship's a struggle? Oh, come on. You, you know worship's a struggle. It's hard to keep your mind engaged. It's hard to sing the songs this morning and stay with the meaning of the words and not get lost in the beauty of the music. It, it's hard to, to just not zone out during a prayer as you bow your head and close your eyes. To, to pray along with the person who's leading us. It's hard to sit through 25, 20 minutes of a sermon and listen throughout the entirety without taking a mental vacation, without thinking about UT, South Carolina, yesterday. You know, it's hard to not go there. How is it that if God is so good and so great and so mighty and glorious and His majesty is so supreme, Why do we find such a hard time worshiping Him? Well, I think I know at least one of the answers. And maybe by trying to do what we're doing this morning, we'll remedy uh, at least this particular aspect of it. But I think part of the reason is that God has become a presupposition to us. We just presuppose God. Let's get right into what he commands us to do and commands us to be. And God himself is just a presupposition. We don't need to talk about God. We all know there's a God. We all agree with that. So let's just move past him and let's get down to what he tells us to do. And I think that's a mistake. When's the last time you heard a sermon on not what God tells you to do, but on God and who he is and how great he is. You see, I think we take that for granted. And the problem with that is that we, uh, by nature, we have trouble with just rules. I heard someone say a number of years ago, and I wrote it down, and I've repeated it many times since, but rules without relationships result in rebellion. Four R's right there for you, easy to remember. Rules without relationship result in rebellion. If if all God is is a rule giver to me and I never get to know Him, then I'll probably not do what He tells me to do when my will disagrees with His will. But if I understand who He is and I develop a relationship with Him, and in the context of that relationship He asks me to do something, then I'm much more likely to do it. If God is just presupposed and we just pass over and gloss over him and His glory and His nature, then worship will probably be a struggle because we have forgotten or we have just passed over the one we are worshiping. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look at this lesson and I want us to get a sense of being in the presence of God. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody great? I mean, somebody that has some notoriety, somebody that has some fame. Oh, th- those brief encounters, man. We, we t- tell them over and over, and they probably get embellished and embellished as the years go on. And and you know, they're like, well, last this earlier this year, we had the men's retreat right next door to where we were meeting. Tony Dungy is in there. I said, man, I got to go get that guy's autograph. Tony Dungy used to play for the Steelers. And and so you know I, I went in there and I got my picture taken with him and his autograph and now I can tell people I was in Richmond Virginia preaching on Thursday this week. A lady came up to me and said, I, um, "You're a Steelers fan?" I had stickers on my car. Yeah, she said, "Tony Dungy's my cousin." I said, "Get! I want your picture taken with me." You know, <laughs> and, and I got my picture taken with her, and she's just the cousin of Tony Dungy. Um, We like to be able to claim some kind of connection to somebody that's famous. A number of years ago, there was a lady in in Glasgow, and uh, she lived while she was living in Nashville. She was so glad to tell this story over and over again. She heard a knock on her door one night, and she went to the door, and Tex Ritter was standing at her door. And he had had a car wreck and needed to go in and wash his hands in in the bathroom, and he asked permission, and so she tells everybody, Tex Ritter was at my house and used my sink. You know, she was flat, and then you you all have stories. Maybe you've run into somebody. I I was in uh, the airport, and the guy standing in the ticket line right in front of me was Wayne Gretzky, and I was like, wow, Wayne Gretzky. You know, I wanted to touch him, but I didn't, and... (laughs) But, you know, there's just uh, there's that sense of awe when we're in the presence of people who have achieved some level of fame and notoriety. Listen, we are the children of God. He's our Father. And, and whatever man may do and become, he is so small in comparison to the God we serve. I want us to worship, to have that sense of awe. I want us not just retelling stories about Tex Ritter. I want us retelling stories about encounters that we had with God, the living God of heaven. And so that's the design of this lesson this morning. And first, let me begin by saying this clicker doesn't work. (laughs) You'll have to click it for me. It's not... I'll I'll just tell you when to go forward, I guess. I'll say, click. (laughs) That'll be a good clue. Um, There are, the passage that we just read in Psalm 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse shows his handiwork. Um, What I want us to do is to think just for a little bit and just look at a couple pictures that remind us of of the beauty of God. There's so much beauty in this creation. How could anybody think? I mean, you go to the water, you go to the sea, you go to the ocean, and there's so many pictures. I was, you know, I I thought this picture was amazing. You know, they're they're on the water and the, the, the moon is rising on the horizon. You can, how many pictures are taken of the ocean? When we went to St. Croix this past year, and, and we would work all day long, going house to house in the sweltering heat, but in the evening and at supper time, we would sit on the, the shore of the ocean, and we, you could sit there a long time and just look at the beauty of that. I mean, God shows beauty in the nature, in the sea, in the ocean. Could you advance, please? Pretty please? Okay. (laughs) I am not advancing. Okay. You want me to try it? All right, let me see. I'll go backwards, see if I got it. Here we go. All right. All right. Some see beauty in just like flowers. I mean, this landscape. Uh, they grow flowers here, can you tell and And they sell them and man, look at that i mean that 's earth it 's beautiful the colors um, and then you can you can uh, look at mountain scenes and see the beauty in that just this past week, I-, I drove like I said over to Richmond, Virginia, and the drive through East Tennessee and Virginia and the changing of the leaves and stuff man, it was beautiful. Uh, the mountains and, and the colors—it's spectacular. Um, as the seasons change, we see beauty in that. Um, this is just actually this is a picture of Reader, West Virginia. It's where my grandma and granddad lived. Their house is the last house on the right uh, at the top of the picture. Um, just a little little town, and but man, in the fall, it's just it's beautiful. And we could just go on and on and and look at nature pictures and see the beauty of God. But we see it, whether it's in the water or on land, whether it's flowers or mountains, whether it's the change of the seasons, the beauty of nature testifies to the majesty of God. And that's what the psalmist is saying. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork um but even beyond that in 1968 there was um an astronaut and he was on the apollo 8 mission his name was william anders and he took this picture that is called um earthrise they were orbiting the moon as the earth was rising in this case on the horizon, and he was able to snap this picture. It's been called the most influential environmental picture in the history of the world. It's an amazing photo of all this vast blackness and, and dull, dark, expanse of space. There's this one little blue planet upon which we all live. Incredible picture. And even beyond that, um, let's get a feel for the size of the earth. I I want you to understand this. Um, Here's a picture of earth compared to some of the other planets. Venus is a in size, but we're bigger than some other planets. But I, I want you to pay attention to the size of earth. And as we go to some other planets, look at what happens. That's the earth. Over here, that, that little, little dot. And when you compare that to the size of Jupiter over here, we are so small. Now, I know there were a couple planets that we were bigger than, but look how much smaller we are than Saturn or, or Jupiter. But let's not stop there. Keep focus. Remember how much bigger Jupiter is than Earth? Let's just take it up another step. See the size of Jupiter in this scale and then you compare it to Sirius. And and if we were to put Earth on back on this chart wh- where would we be? I mean, we'd be a pixel on on this picture. That's it. If that much. But we're not done. Compare the size and keep you in your mind. <clears throat> keep in your mind the size of Sirius. And let's move forward. And then you have Aldebaran. Look at the size difference. And again, if you think we're done, we're not. Because we can make Aldebaran that small, uh, tiny marble. And you go out. And this is literally called Beetlejuice. That's the name of this uh Uh, largest star on this, this graph. And and there's more. I'm going to stop here, but I think you get the point. We are a pixel in this vast universe in which we're situated and God's attention is focused on us. I know the psalmist said on one occasion, Who is man or what is man that you're mindful of him? I understand that question. Do you give thought to things that you are so small to you that you can't even see? Do you give thought to those kind of situations? Probably very few of us do. God gives thought. He's bigger than all the universe. I mean, he made it all. It's like God can wrap his arms around all of it. How big is this God we serve when we are so small? Look at another picture that I think is, is astounding. I, I, I was fascinated with this. NASA's uh, Cassini spacecraft um, was sent out on October the 15th, 1997. Basically 15 or so years ago, this spaceship went off. And, and it travels anywhere from 20,000 miles an hour to the highest was 94,000 miles an hour. This spaceship is zipping through space. If we just averaged it, 40,000 miles an hour for the last 15 years, day in, day out, 24 hours a day. And it finally reaches Saturn. That's the expanse here. Can you imagine 40,000 miles an hour for 15 years, and you finally get to Saturn? And it took a picture looking back. And I don't know if you can see that little blue dot over here. That's us. Isn't that incredible? We are just a speck in this system. 2012, the Hubble Telescope many of you know what that is um, it was sent up into space, and it, it gets through our atmosphere and all the clutter and pollution to give us much clearer pictures of the sky. And in 2012, it has an ultra-deep field that they activated, and what they did is they took a piece where there was nothing. It was just emptiness. And and, and it's just a little speck, you know, and and they focused everything on that one spot um, because there was nothing there. Well, what they thought was nothing turned out to be something. This is a picture of that spot where there was nothing. It was just outside of our vision. They've counted over 10,000 galaxies in that little spot where the Hubble had pointed, where there was nothing that our eyes could see. Not 10,000 stars, 10,000 galaxies in this picture right here. Do you feel small? I, I hope so. Because it should make us realize how vast and how big... God, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was more than just five, seven miles high where the airplanes fly. This goes on who knows how far. If looking at the sky in the times of the psalmist, prior to telescopes, prior to Hubble, prior to satellites, if it caused the psalmist to say, you know what? The heavens declare the glory of God. And that expanse, it shows his handiwork. If it, if it made him be in awe of God, how much more should we be in awe of God? But not only that, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at just, you know, the speck that we are in this universe but speaking of specs, let, let's go the other way. We, we've talked about the vastness of the universe. Can I just take you to the, the micro universe that exists, that is all around us, we give no attention to because we can't see it? Now, this is a picture with an electron microscope of something that is called a water bear. Um, They live in water, and it's called the hardiest animal on Earth. The reason they call it that is they took this animal on the space shuttle and exposed it to the vacuum of space, way, way below zero, no oxygen, survived. You know, they brought it back, and it's still alive. You know, they they were amazed at the resiliency of, of this animal but this is so small that you can't even see it. And frankly, I'm glad, you know, I don't want to be seeing this bug in my house, but look at that thing. I mean, the complexity of it on a level that we don't even know exists, but God made it. It's there. There's another picture of a animal. Yeah, that's real. That's not from, you know, a, a movie or something like that. That that is what is called a hydrothermal worm it 's an electron microscope again that has blown this thing up to to uh, over five hundred and twenty five times its size this This thing is so small you, you can 't see it it 's the size of bacteria, but this thing man he he looks pretty wicked you know i, I wouldn 't want to run into that if you were his size um, but What is life doing that is this small that we don't even know and haven't known that existed until we came into the the age of technology that we have to even understand this? I mean, from the vastness of the universe to these microscopic things that God has taken care of and saw fit to create in all of its diverseness, I understand the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows His handiwork. I also understand, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Psalm 8 and look at what is said in Psalm 8, verse 1. The psalmist said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth. Who has set Your glory above the heavens? When I consider Your heavens... The, the work of your fingers? The moon and the stars which you have ordained? What, what is man that you're mindful of him? Again, if the psalmist could marvel by what he could see, how much more should we be marveling at the majesty of God? But here's where I want to jump off. We've been talking about the beauty and complexity of nature. And that beauty of nature reveals to us something about God. But you know what's better than the beauty of nature? It's the beauty of His nature. God Himself. The Creator of it all. If this, if looking at nature doesn't convince you there is a God and that there's complexity beyond the possibility of accident if if the beauty of nature speaks then what about and what does the beauty of his nature say turn in your bible again to psalm chapter 19 and this is the exact point that is being made in psalm 19 because he begins in psalm 19 the psalmist does by talking about nature the heavens declare the glory of god the firmament shows his handiwork uh, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth, the words to the, the to the end of the world. Uh, he, he talks about the sun and all this. He's talking about nature, but look at what he does then. He jumps from the beauty of nature to the beauty of God's nature. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, that much fine gold, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is worn, and keeping them there is great reward. Listen to the words that he uses to describe the nature of God. He says, Perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous, more to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey, and they bring a great reward. That's the God we serve. If you look at nature and you go, wow, that's amazing, then we should look at the one who created it and also marvel at his majesty. And that's the point that the psalmist is making here. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, the goodness of God, well, it leads us to repentance. We need to talk more about God and not relegate Him to a presupposition. We, We don't need to just bypass Him and get straight to, here's what God says for you to do. We need to talk about God. And how do I know that? Because worship sometimes is a struggle. We sometimes get lost in it. Our intentions are good, but we fail to perform and execute because we let other things get in our way. But if you were in the presence of some great person here in, this, in our society, we would sit up and take notice. It would be an event. It would be a, an event that we remember for the rest of our lives, and we would tell over and over again Listen, we're not in the presence of that kind of a person, but we are in the presence of the God who created the vast universe and the microscopic universe that we don't even know all that is there. We need to see God when we come together to worship. And then and and then worship I don't think will be nearly the struggle that we sometimes find it to be. We need not only to see The beauty of nature and the timing of this is because, you know, as I drove to Virginia, I looked at the beauty and I thought, wow, this beauty is breathtaking. But beyond the natural beauty that is breathtaking, there's his nature that is breathtaking. How long would we be here if we talked about the graciousness of God? and the compassion that He has shown to His people. The forgiveness, the willingness to turn away and say, you know what, I forgive you and I'll never bring it up again. We're done with that. Let's move on. The love that He has shown us. and we, The justice, the unwillingness to let those who serve Him... To, be dealt a wrong hand, that God will eventually in eternity make all of the inequities right because he's a just and righteous God. Those are the kind of things that should make us be in awe, not of nature, but of his nature. And as we close this morning, let me just say this. As the children of God, as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, what do you want to be known for? I don't want to be known for any single issue or position or doctrine that maybe, um, you know, we'll identify them by that. Let's be identified by a cappella singing. I don't want that to identify me. I don't want the fact that we baptize people for the forgiveness of sins uh, in immersion in water. I don't want that to be what identifies me. I don't want the fact that we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus every first day of the week because, uh, as Benny said, we need to remember because we're a forgetful people. I don't want that to identify me. It's too small. Those things are not big enough to identify the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you how I would like to be identified. The church of Christ, that's a group of people who are in awe of their Maker. They hold Him up with such high esteem. They see His glory and majesty and they respond in humility. I'll take that. That would be a good identifying characteristic of who we are and what we're about. If God was glorious and held up in awe, do you think I'd ever tell Him no? Do you think He'd say, do this, and I'd say, no, I want to do that? I want to be known as a person who recognizes the majesty of God. And if I can be known for that, all of those other issues that we talked about, those will take care of themselves. Of course I'll take the Lord's Supper. Of course I'll sing as God wants me to. Of course we'll baptize people for the forgiveness of sins and a host of other issues. Because God is God. And He has the authority to command. And how could I do anything but obey. As we bring this lesson to a close this morning, I want to just simply remind you of this sorry this one point point. and um, as we are about to sing a song of encouragement it is to invite you to come and to be a part of the body of Christ to be a part of his church, to be able to call the God of heaven our Father He invites us not just to be His servants, but to be His children. What an honor that is. That's who we are, folks. We're the children of God. And we ought to leave here in awe of that truth, humbled by His love for us, by His nature, to the degree that we serve Him, and unquestionably... Follow him wherever he leads. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus is God made flesh, and he told us to do it. What will you do to a God who asks you to do that? Will you listen? Will you stand up and bow your back and say no to God? Really? If you need to respond to the invitation to be baptized, I hope you'll do that this morning, and if you're a child of God already, and maybe unfaithful, and you've let sin creep back into your life, and you know you need to get right, the God of heaven asks you to turn from it, to repent and pray, and He'll forgive you. If you need to do that, we'll do that this morning. And that God, whose nature is so glorious, He'll forgive you. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.